0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of his word. Enjoy the message. So I got a message from my friend, uh, Seth Mosley. I don't know, Seth, are you here in this service? Seth's a musician. I think he's a five o'clock guy. Um, He sent me this message yesterday on, on Instagram for sermon inspiration to which I said, challenge accepted. He was, uh, have, you ever, have you ever had Jesus pick you up in an Uber? It's, I have too. And it's one of the most hilarious things is to get that message that uh, keep your phone nearby in case Jesus needs to reach you. <laughs> now here's what I know. This is my response to Seth was, if it really is Jesus he's going to text me first before he's calling because he knows better than to call before texting in this environment uh, because, you know, that's just how, that's how my world runs right now. And, and as I was joking about that with Seth, I was like, man, Seth could not have sent this on a better time because we're in John 21 where Jesus is telling Peter, hey, be ready, keep your phone next to you. <laughs> we're about to, it's about to get real in here. We're about to call you into action. So be ready, follow me. That's what we're going to talk about is, by the way, as we land the plane of the book of John, John 21, 14 months. Now, I know some people complain because it's been a long time in the book of John, but I assure you we could have spent a lot longer. Wait till we do Genesis, then you're going to be begging for mercy. But But I'm excited to close this chapter, this book, because... God is still moving and he doesn't need me to preach to you every Sunday. This book of John is just full of potent and powerful truth. So I pray that you'll continue to immerse yourself in it. But I wanted to remind you that John himself told us why he wrote this book. It's A.D. 90, okay, A.D. 90. He, all of his friends, his fellow disciples are gone. They've been crucified. They've been sawed in half. They've been speared through. And John is the last one alive that was one of those disciples. It's AD 90. And by now, he's got, in fact, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You'll see that he is dealing with the same kinds of things that we deal with today, which is false doctrine. People that said Jesus isn't who he really said he was. There was no incarnation. I mean, just like 50 to 60 years after the ascension of Jesus, there's already crazy stuff being taught and said. People that were even saying bad things about John. And so he says, first he writes these three epistles, right? In the middle of that, he writes this book that we call John. And he tells us this is why I am writing this book. Now, remember, people are saying bad things about him. They're saying lies about him. And he's just saying, look, this is my testimony. I don't know if he got it notarized or not, but this is what I saw and with my own eyes and my own heart. And he says this, verse 31 of chapter 20 of John, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote that book 2,000 years ago, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that now, 2,000 years later, we have a accurate, we have a true eyewitness testimony to what Jesus did, who he said he was, and why he came. And if you ever hear anybody say anything about Jesus and why he came in and it doesn't match what the gospels tell us, then you either have to admit that that person is just making it up out of thin air or they're just lying because this is what the testimony of Jesus is. So I'm gonna read to you verses 18 through 25. If you've got your Bibles out, please put them on your lap or turn them on, some of you. And uh, if you're watching scores or whatever for your games, God is watching you. Very truly, I tell you, verse 18. (laughs) When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this was the one who leaned, in case we wondered, the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper. And it said, Lord, who is going to betray you? So making sure we know which one he's talking about. When Peter saw him, he said, yes, the question I would have asked, well, what about him? Why do I got to be crucified? And Tim gets to be the cool digital media guy. Like, what about him? And Jesus responded (laughs) to him. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See how he goes from follow me to you follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. do you love the rumor mill? Still going on today. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, then what is that to you? This is the disciple. This is like his signature, like I'm signing this off on my testimony. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did, verse 25, many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's God's word. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Pray that your spirit is all over us today. Pray for your word to be the light and the lamp. Lord, that you would... Speak to each of us individually, making it real in not just our heads, but our hearts that you're Messiah, your Son of God. You are the one that in you, like we can have a life, not in any other name, but in you, in your name, we can have life. I pray that your spirit would be in us today. I pray that your spirit is falling on churches all over this community. Vineyard Church in Franklin with Grant Pemberton's taken over today, another transition in our community. I pray that it goes smoothly, that you're moving in that church family and our brothers and sisters at Five Stones and downtown Franklin. Lord, they have fought a battle of all battles just trying to have a church in downtown Franklin and they've succeeded and continue to just push through and I pray that you'd be with Sean and that church and their family, that your spirit would be there and, and bringing it back home to our own, Lord, from our kids' ministry, Youth, everybody, Lord, you are just here today moving on all of our hearts. In Jesus' Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's what he wants us to know in this book. All 21 chapters, we're pointing to this thing that we would believe that he is Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And by believing those things, right, if we do that, then we're going to have life in his name. And here's what we know from Peter, from John, and from our own life experience: that Jesus Himself, if he's Messiah, Jesus Himself, right? He is the Son of God. There's only one appropriate response to that, and that is to follow Him. There's many invitations for people out there wanting us to follow them. Tim talking about digital marketing, that's the whole thing is based on follows. Do I get more followers? That's not the kind of following. He's not looking like a Hindu situation where I'm just clicking on one more account to follow, right? One more God to click to follow. There is no other list. This is follow him. It's way much more than what our modern vernacular would say when it means to follow Jesus. But the question is with Peter, the question of, with John, the question with me, with with. Derek, right, with with David Cendelli. The question is, if we believe those things, what does life in our name look like? What did it look like for them, and what does it look like for us that John would go to all this trouble to to, to write this inspired by the Holy Spirit? What are our lives gonna look like if we actually follow Jesus, believing that he is the Son of God, believing that he is the Messiah? Starting with just the idea of Messiah, Messiah simply means anointed one. It was a word that the Jewish people specifically, and by the way, please continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel. I'm happy to report that of all the stuff that's happening around the world, that one thing you see in situations like this is you see brothers and sisters turn to Jesus and that's happening inside of Israel right now. I can't talk about most of it publicly, just people that I know behind the scenes. But man, there's a revival being born in Israel right now. That that could hasten the return of Christ because it says right the scriptures say until they are in the cities saying blessed be the name of the Lord, that is when he will return. And so maybe that's it. I don't know. I'm not a prophet, but I'm saying that things are happening there that are amazing. But they've been looking for Messiah. One of my buddies over there uh, who I love dearly, um, we had this conversation and he said, uh, we're talking about Jesus, right? And he does not believe that Jesus is Messiah. And uh, he said to me, I'll tell you how we're going to know. Here's how we're going to figure it out. When he returns, when he comes, we're just going to ask him one question. Is this your first time? (laughs) Because if he's right, it'll be the first time. But there's an empty tomb that I'm pretty confident says that we're right. And he'll say, no, I've been here. I've been here before. (laughs) And I'm coming back and opening up a can of whoop, God. And we're going to take care of this whole thing. And we're going to start it. Forever. We're going to fix it. But until then, the Messiah, that's who they're looking for. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would come and would save them. Now, they were looking specifically for someone who would save them from Rome, right? Set up the kingdom. That's coming, But in Jesus' first coming as Messiah, it was not just to, it wasn't at that point to save them from their Roman oppressors. It was to save them from themselves. Because it's our own hearts that desperately need saved more than anything else. Now, Peter had a plan, by the way. Peter's plan was I'm going to die for you. So look, that's verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, Jesus is telling him how you're going to die in the future. Now, this was what Peter has said multiple times that I want to do. I will die for you. In fact, in the garden, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, Jim Weidman made one of these. He said a funny thing, which is, uh, he, he's been a part of churches that do uh, series. And, and by the way, I don't have anything against churches that do series. I just suck at them. So that, you know, whatever. I, I just love the fact that I know what I'm going to be teaching next week because we're in the book of John, right? Um, he said, <laughs> this is Jim. And Jim, if you're watching, I'm about to do a Jim Weidman impersonation. He's like, he's like uh, you know, bub, uh, this is the first time I've ever been in a church where we spent like three months On after the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We only used to do that at Easter time. (laughs) I was like, well, that's because you're in a serious church. So when you're in the Bible, go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're going to get it, whether it's at Easter or not, right? Anyway, point being that Messiah (laughs) was who came to not have Peter die for him, but for him to die for Peter. That is not a small distinction. Peter would one day die on behalf of his faith, but it was not on behalf of his salvation. Peter's in the garden. He's got six hundred Roman soldiers with swords, and what does Peter pull out? He pulls out his sword. I'm gonna, and he's not even good with his sword. He misses and hits the guy's ear. But that's a good way to get yourself killed. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if, if someone were to walk into our church on any given Sunday with a gun, can I assure you that that is a bad idea? I know my people. You wouldn't even make it through the front parking lot. The point being, that was what Peter was doing. He's literally bringing a knife to a sword fight. It was a death wish. He's saying, I will die for you. And Jesus, at that point, John 13, because Peter's saying, can't I follow you? Why can't I follow you? And Jesus is like, not yet. And the point and the reason is is that Peter was wanting to follow Jesus into the tomb and Jesus' invitation was not to follow into the tomb but out of the empty tomb. Not a small distinction. Follow me out of the tomb, not into the tomb. Because once Jesus it says he was the firstborn of many. Once he resurrected from the dead as Messiah, he defeated death. Now, there are many in this room, you have cheated death. You've, look, this is a room full of rednecks. All due respect. But some of y'all done some stuff that it's a, it is a God miracle that you're walking and breathing and standing here right now because you cheated death. My son, just this Friday night, I was doing a wedding in um, somewhere. Murfreesboro. I've slept since then. And uh, we get a call. I mean, I'm, I've, I've got the suit and tie on. Right, I look like I'm either going to fight crime or do a wedding. I don't know. Either one. And Shannon gets a phone call. Your son has been in an accident. He's, he's, if, if, thankfully, they started with, he's okay. So heads up, if you ever have to make that call, start with that. If, it's, if You know what I'm saying? Don't let that just hang out there. So he's okay, but he's had an accident, and it's like a mile from the venue, and I'm literally 30 seconds from, on behalf of the family, welcome to this wedding today. Look, I'm hearing the sirens in the background, Right? And he has managed to somehow be a teenager and smash his car right into a tree. And it could have been so different. In fact, specifically because I just spent a few days in Oregon with a friend of mine who's one of the kids in their church, 16 years old, had the exact same kind of accident a few years back and didn't make it. She's with Jesus now. On that day, Ethan cheated death, but he didn't defeat death defeating death has nothing to do with cheating it defeating death is you were dead and now you're not that's a defeat of death everything else is cheating it defeating death and that's what jesus did as messiah was to go into a tomb be dead and then not be dead that's that's a big deal a huge deal. And as Messiah, that's what he's inviting Peter to do, is follow me, which is what he says. Follow me, verse 19. It's not that you're not gonna end up in a tomb someday, it's that you're going to end up vacating that tomb Someday. Because just like me, you are going to defeat death because of what I did for you. That is the idea of what a Messiah is. He came to seek and to save the lost, you and me. That's why what digital mark media, ministry, whatever we call it, ministry, missionary, digital thing, that's so important because we want the world to know that Jesus came as Messiah to save you from your sins, to save you from yourself. Now, I know that we live in a sophisticated world. We live in a Western culture where people are ever gaining in knowledge and never coming to the truth, I think is what that's called. One of those guys is a Stanford researcher, scientist, who has concluded that we don't have free will. Now, this is not a John MacArthur you know, versus Sproul Calvinism versus Armenianism debate. That's not that at all. What this is is what, and this is catching on in ways that is profound, and I might add, terrifying. Because what they're saying is that you and I are just a machine, a computer. Our, our neurons are firing, and that's how you have thoughts. And what the idea is is that because of that, you or I do not have free will. Every decision we make is a decision based on the neurons that we were born with in our brains, so there's no responsibility. Now, if you think I'm taking that a little too far, let us let Spolowski speak for himself. He's reached the conclusion that virtually all human behavior is as far beyond our conscious control as the convulsions of a seizure the division of cells or the beating of our hearts now here's the logical conclusion and I appreciate him at least saying it out loud most people this is saying the quiet part out loud He goes on to say, this means accepting that a man who shoots into a crowd has no more control over his fate than the victims who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It means treating drunk drivers who barrel into pedestrians just like drivers who suffer a uh, sudden heart attack and veer out of their lane. He's saying that none of us are responsible for any of our behaviors, us imprisoning people, drunk drivers who have killed innocent people should not go to jail because it's not their fault any more than someone with a heart attack. And that is the logical conclusion if your brain, if your body is nothing more than a machine. Now, hundreds of years ago, Rene Descartes, was a French philosopher, who hundreds of years ago was actually saying that there's, he called it the ghost in the machine. Has anyone heard this phrase before? That's where it came from. The idea that there's this physical body, but inside of this physical body is this ghost in the machine that you can't quite measure anyway. He, of course, he had no technology. Here's what's amazing. In our modern world, this has been proven over and over and over again. And one of the fields of study, this is a true story. When you look at the white coats, all due respect to my friends who wear white coats to work. Um, but in the last three years, did we not learn that people in white coats are not necessarily, as, not all of them are as smart as we wanted them to be, right? But that said, the white coats <laughs> that are coming to Christ in larger number than any other uh, field of study is in neuroscience. And Michael Ignor is a neuroscientist, a neurosurgeon who wrote this essay, he came to Christ over the last 30 years because he kept finding situations where he couldn't explain why it is that he can't get the consciousness of a human, the thing that makes you, you, to show up on a CAT scan anywhere. The idea that, uh, that it's just neurons and that's the idea that it comes from the idea you know, that, it's a, that it's just the machines were disproven in his mind when he had a young patient who, because of epileptic seizures and parenthetically after first service, a family approached me, a father whose daughter had this exact same procedure. And if you've had a a child or have a child that struggles with epilepsy, you know how hard it is and the the, the dangers around that and the more more extreme versions. And so when this uh, man that approached me afterwards said that when their daughter was born, that this procedure that I cannot pronounce, but it basically takes out an entire portion of her brain. And here she is years and years and years, years later, completely normal, completely a whole person with half of her brain gone. Now, here's why that matters. This is exactly the thing that Dr. Egner was talking about when he had a, uh, a, did a procedure on a young girl, the same thing, and figured out that she turned out to be completely fine. He said this. Each patient, uh, after doing the surgery where they would split the brain in half to work on epilepsy, each patient was still one person. Their brain is two, but they're still one person person. The intellect and will, the capacity to have abstract thought and to choose remained unified. He actually goes on to say that when we would, would do open, uh, is it open brain surgery? When they, they drill a hole in your head, this sounds horrible, but he says there's no neurons, there's no nerve endings in your brain. There's no The brain doesn't feel pain. So once you numb this, you can poke into the brain and you don't even feel it. So you got fully conscious Right, people with a hole in their head, and he's poking around. Did you know about this, Tasha? I didn't know this. Poking around can make his arm move or make his you know leg move like a dog when you're petting him, whatever. Like, he could do all those things. But he said this, though, that when I was moving it, they knew I was moving it. It wasn't like I'm saying I'm moving my arm. They recognized he's moving their arm. They knew it. But the second thing he said was that down here the most remarkable result of uh, some of the Nobel Prize all they won was that the person's intellect and will what we might call the soul remained undivided. In other words there's something in there that when you cut the brain in half you could still make the legs move whatever but there was something separate that couldn't be measured. We would call it the soul the spirit depending on your vernacular. Descartes calls it the ghost in the machine but that is the you that makes you you. And that is the you that Christ has come to seek and to save. Someday we're going to fold up this body like an old tent is what Paul calls it. But there is a part of you that is still you. In fact, it's more you than you are right now that lives on and that's what Christ came to seek and to save. It's what we need a Savior for because if This knucklehead is right in Stanford. There's no hope for us. That there's no hope at all if we're just a machine. There's no hope of adapting our behavior, of changing anything. There's no responsibility for anything. But the God of the universe, our Messiah, came to save us and to redeem that part of us and has made that born again, not just in the life to come, but in this life. And that's the Messiah that came for Peter that said to you that, look, you're, you seem to be divided in these things, but you are a whole person, and I've come to seek and to save you. And last week, that's what Mo talked about. Didn't Mo do a great job last week? He just crushed. Peter was on this journey of following Jesus, and Jesus is telling him, I am Messiah. But if it's just Messiah, just come to save you, and not the Son of God, then you don't know whether this is somebody you can trust. You don't know if he's all-knowing. You don't know if he's omnipotent. He's just a guy that pulled you from a burning building, right? Could be a nut job for all you know. How do we know? If it's just Messiah and we're just following him, we got a lot of questions for him. But he's not. He's not just Messiah. He is the son of God. Which means that not only did he save you, it means that he knows what he's doing. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And when it comes to the Son of God, it means that he's not just your Savior, he's your Lord. There is no halfway in this. If he truly saved you, if he truly resurrected from the dead... The only option is to give yourself back to him and the way that we know that we can trust him, the way that we know that he's a Messiah that is good. I mean, think about this. Our world is full of despots and tyrants who started with great intentions about saving their people and then ultimately became the evil that they hated. Jesus will never become the evil that he hates because he is not just a Messiah, because he is the son of God. And because of that, we know we can trust. And Peter, what is he saying to Peter? Look, you wanted to die for me? Well, I've died for you, saved you from your sins, and now you're gonna get the chance to do the same exact thing which is die for me. You're going to get your wish. And Peter, man, God bless him. What about him? Why why do I got to be this way? Now, in fairness, John, A.D. 90, might have been thinking Peter got off lucky. Because by the time A.D. 90 had come along, John had seen the temple destroyed, He had seen most everybody he knew and loved dispersed all over the world. Rome had burned down. Just as Jesus said would happen. there was no stone left on top of the other. And here is John, still alive, 60 years later. By this point, he has been arrested. He has ran for his life. He has been boiled in oil. Have you guys made tater tots lately? It's like he dropped him in a, a tater tot in a boil of oil. Fry daddied him. Survived. They're like, well, that didn't work. So we're going to put him on an island. And now, uh, you people in the Caribbean, you island people, this is not like going to the Caribbean. This is more like that TV show Alone. <laughs> you know, I put you on an island. Here's a couple of sticks to rub together, and good luck. They exiled him. John is going, man. John's probably thinking, what about him at this point? Why do I got to be out here cooking in the sun? But the thing about him being the son of God is the question: What about? Him? What about you? Is a false question. It's not that it's none of his business. It's that how could he possibly explain it to everybody? If he's a Son of God, and he is, then he's got a plan for me that's different than the plan for Chris, different than the plan for Eric or Sammy or Joe. it's. He's got the plan, and his plan for me might be different than yours it's why i don't ever shame you for not going on a mission trip he if he didn't call you don't go it's as simple as that if i had my way and everybody had a heart for haiti there'd be nobody to go anywhere else if tim had his way and everybody was all in on digital ministry that's awesome but then who helps the, the drug addicts in Columbia, Tennessee? Not what about Tim, not what about Darren. It's what about Jesus? What's he asking you to do? And go do that. It's so simple. We make it so hard. <laughs> and what I know and what I love about Peter is that it took him a little bit to catch up to what God was doing in his life. You see, because what Peter was asking back in John 13 was, Lord, why can't I follow you now? This is leading up to the crucifixion. Why can't I follow you now? I want to go now. Peter still wasn't getting it yet. Because what Peter's asking to do is, I want to follow you to an occupied tomb. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, not yet. Because I want you to follow me out of the empty tomb. And the what about you? For Peter was... He's still catching up to it. Like, he's going to get what we all get if we believe Jesus is Messiah, believe Jesus is the Son of God, which is we're going to get life in his name. Now, you might be thinking, hey, Darren, that's great, except you just said Peter was going to get dead in Jesus' name. I'm not talking about his physical life. I'm talking about the life more abundant that he offered us all. And if we will follow him out of the empty tomb, should Jesus tarry, and I would prefer he did not. In fact, right now, I wouldn't have to finish the sermon. We could finish it when we get to heaven. So if you're a trumpet, just get, you know, get ready. But until then, we are following Jesus, not into an occupied tomb, but from an empty tomb, and giving us life in his name. The last few years, man, we have seen that there is no life in the name of medical science. There is no life in the name of secular progressivism. There is no life in the news cycle, but there is life in his name. And one of the things that we get when we get life is the opportunity to share that life with others. I'm going to share two things and I'm going to land this thing. But if we're all going to follow Jesus, that's what he offered us. Follow me. I love it. He didn't just say, follow me. You follow me, Peter. John, you follow me, John. Like, you follow me. We're going to go together, but we're following him on the specific mission that he has for us. But can I give you a couple of pro tips from an old guy? that's followed Jesus for a long time of some mistakes. In fact, I'm going to share with you two mistakes that I've seen. These are not comprehensive. You might think of some others. But can I share these with you that cross-reference with what the scriptures and what would happen later in Peter and in John's life? And that is this, that when you're following Jesus, you might get to the truth sooner than someone next to you, maybe someone in your own family. You've arrived at the truth, just like John got to the tomb before Peter did. It's such a great metaphor for what was happening in Peter's life. Peter just needed a minute, man. He got to catch up. John booked it there. And when you look at even how John was getting it, arriving, so to speak, at the truth, he was at the cross, right, with Jesus. Jesus asked him to take care of his mom. Like John got things faster than Peter did. And Jesus did not shame Peter for not getting it as fast as the others. When I think back to my early life, one of the things I love about my wife, and I love so many, is she has such a pure faith. She believes. You can make an argument that there is a, you know, sovereignty in that or whatever, but she believes. I Man, I got to stink and ask all kinds of questions. I mean, you can't even imagine how much trouble I got in when I was a kid. Now, wait a minute. Why does this not make any I got to make this make sense. I gotta, I wish that I had that that faith, but I don't. And there were those along the way that shamed me. Why? Why don't you just get your crap together? Why don't you? In fact, there was a moment when we were getting married all those years ago. Let's say 10 years ago, just for Let's say 10. There were people warning her, do not marry that knucklehead, and they were kind of right. Because they saw Shannon this, and by the way, I love Jesus. It wasn't like she was a missionary date, but it was definitely a rescue operation. Don't, I do not advise that for others, by the way. But I'm saying that she was there. She believed, and I just needed a minute to catch up. And God didn't shame me for that. Shannon didn't shame me for that. And I might ask you today to do the same. You might have come to some conclusions in truth. Can you just give it a second for your children to catch up? Now, biblically speaking, here's why I bring this up. Because John, who would write these words that we're reading, would write some epistles first. 2nd and 3rd John. And what does he say in 2nd John? He's speaking specifically, so these are the two, I want to say, these are the two mistakes that a lot of believers make when following Jesus. One of them is that you get ahead of Jesus. I've ran out ahead of him, and here's what he's saying. Again, these are epistles written because already people are saying crazy things like Jesus did not come in the flesh they're already saying, well, maybe he didn't resurrect in reality. There are preachers in this town right now saying that kind of stuff. There's a church in West Nashville called Grace Point. They, that pastor is hundred percent, well, we're not really sure whether he resurrected or not. Uh, Spiro Agnew, I, I no, that's a, that was a secretary of state. Spiro something. <laughs> In West Nashville, that's another pastor saying those, well, whether he's resurrected or not is irrelevant. We just, it's a metaphor. That's, when you guys hear me getting mad about Richard Rohr, I mean, he's just a monk, Darren, give him some break. Richard Rohr does not believe that Jesus literally resurrected from the dead. He uses the language of Christ consciousness. That's a Hindu idea. That's not a Jesus idea. And it's the idea that there's a young singer, and and man, let's pray for him, but Michael Gunger, he says that we're all Christ. You're Christ, I'm Christ. This is what's going on online right now, that we're all Christ. That is getting ahead of Jesus, where you're not following Jesus anymore, you're following you. I have wandered through some woods before where I have been lost. And let me tell you, the last thing you need to do is to follow Darren when Darren's lost, Right? following someone who got ahead of the guy that knows his way out of the tomb and getting ahead of him, so now you've got to follow me. That's the warning here. Don't get ahead of Jesus. If Jesus didn't say it, and by the way, the only way we know what he said is right here. If you're making a claim about Jesus that Jesus did not make about himself, in fact, one of the things that Richard Rohr says out loud is Jesus did not die for your sins. He says it with a straight face. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John all talk about the atoning sacrifice for your sins. So the only way to do that, to believe that, to even say it out loud, is to get ahead of Jesus and to start saying things that Jesus isn't saying because you're no longer following Jesus, you're asking him to follow you. And let me tell you what he will not do is follow you. That is not in the cards. It's not on the table. He said, follow me. So getting ahead of Jesus is a mistake that believers can make. The other one is you get there first. Now, keeping in mind, what did John do? He got to the tomb first, right? And he waited for Peter. And what was it that he says here about uh, his friend Diotrephes, this is about a church that he's writing, and this is one of the leaders in the church, and he said, I write this, uh, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who, who listen to this, loves to be first, will not welcome us, and so when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied even with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers, and he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church, Do do, do you see what he's saying here? That there's a certain ideology in fundamentalism, hardcore fundamentalism. I got this figured out. I figured it out way before everybody else. And now what I'm gonna do is build a fort around the tomb and I'm gonna decide who gets in and out and not Jesus. Not based on what Jesus said, but based on what I say. There is a pride in that. You may very well have received the revelation from scripture of grace, of saved by faith alone in Christ. 100%, that's awesome. And if someone else isn't there yet, could you cut them some slack? Could you give them a chance to catch up? I'm gonna say this, and then it's gonna be the last thing I say because I may have to run out of here. In our current political climate, there are those who you have found some stuff that's true, and you know it's true, And there are some others that are catching up to the truth. If you are shaming them online, if you are shaming them to their face, that is not the way of the gospel. Give them a second. Let them catch up. Pray for them. But especially when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the word. There's so much here. I was fly fishing in... uh, literally with it, he might as well have been Zorro. I don't know how else to explain him. This dude could take a cigar out of Tim Bassanio's mouth from a hundred feet away with a fly rod. It was like this incredible. And when he was teaching me, we learned this skill. I worked on it a little while. And then about an hour later, he says, okay, now do this, teach this. And then a little bit later, he, he taught me this and we did this. And what he was saying was that if I taught you this all at one sitting, all at the same time, you would not be able to get any of this. I'm teaching you one skill at a time. And when you get that mastered, then go to the next one. And then you go to the next one. And before long, I'm Zorro, man. The kingdom of God, man, Jesus taught. That's why Peter, you think that Jesus didn't know Peter was going to be crucified the minute he said, follow me on the Sea of Galilee? He knew. Peter wasn't ready for that yet. Peter had some other things to learn, and he's got some other things to learn. There are those that don't know what you know yet because they're not ready for it. Give them a second. I'm begging you, give them some time. As long as we're all following. Now, that's different if you've got someone ahead of Jesus declaring untrue things and leading people you know, into destruction. That's different. John says, get, I'm gonna confront him to his face. But on the other hand, there are those like Peter that are like, look. I'm going to give you a minute. And you know what happened when they gave Peter a minute? Just a few weeks later, he's standing in front of thousands of people. Thousands of people came to Christ. Peter would later go to a church in Babylon. Babylon. Did you know that? First Peter. To so the people in Babylon. He would later be executed in Rome. Give him a minute. Jesus saw in him something that was beautiful that he was, when he got it, he was gonna get it. And I know in this room right now, there are those of you that got it and there are those of you that are getting it and there are those of you that desire to get it and Jesus has patience for all of you. Let's just start with the simple truth that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah right? And that by believing in him and on that, that's how we're going to get life. Life in his name, not life in my name, not life in my rules and regulations and my policies and my procedures. And that's why we don't do membership, by the way. I don't know if you know that or not. I mean, if you want a certificate suitable for framing, we could order one for Lifeway. But I, look, we all need some time to catch up to this, right? So I'm just saying, look, you don't need paperwork. A lot of times membership, they got all these rules in there that Jesus didn't even ask for. Like, so I'm going to ask for more than that. You don't want me in between you and Jesus. Do not follow Darren. Follow Jesus. I got enough problems. (laughs) You don't want them. I might have been in the hospital a little bit longer than some of you, right? I might know which nurses to avoid and what to avoid in the commissary or whatever. Like, I've been here a little while longer, but I'm still in the same hospital you're in because I need the same great physician you need and I want to follow him out of the tomb, and I hope that you'll follow him out of the tomb with me because when you follow him, not into the tomb, but out of it, that's what baptism speaks of, right? The death, the burial, resurrection. Now I am following him out of the tomb. That's where life in his name comes. We'll have nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with the power of the gospel. Wow. Stand to your feet. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just the gospel. It's just the gospel. For those of you that maybe have not made that decision to follow Christ out of the tomb, info at, I know this is going to sound cheesy, info at conduitchurch.com. Someone would be glad to pray for you. And honestly, if, if you, I don't know if you're feeling that right now. Just, I, mean, I, wanna, I just want to follow Jesus. Come on down to the front and people will pray for you before you go today but I would love everybody that's leading me out of here today to not just follow whoever out the door, but to follow Jesus out of the tomb. Amen? Heavenly Father, you're so good because you're the Son of God. You're so good because you're Messiah, and we know that you're good because you willingly laid down your life for a friend. It's the way that we know that you're not some despot or some tyrant because you went first. We're so grateful for that. I pray today, Father, that you will speak to each and every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You are dismissed, my friends.